Ag State of Mind, episode 107. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today we go up to the great province of Saskatchewan, Canada and talk to Chris Beaudry. Chris was actually recommended to me by my friend Leslie Kelly. I had put a tweet out over Twitter that I was wanting to share the story of people, not necessarily in agriculture, but... Again, this podcast does focus on mental health and agriculture, and I wanted to share the story of somebody involved in agriculture who has a story of sobriety and how they've turned their life around. And uh, again, Leslie recommended Chris to me. I am so glad she did because Chris has an incredible story. Some parts of it, I think some of you will probably be a little bit familiar with, um, Chris was just a wealth of information. I just don't even think we scratched the surface of what him and I could bring out in a podcast conversation. So I think you'll see Chris on the podcast again uh, sometime very soon. So, um, all right, here we go with my podcast interview with Chris Beaudry. All right, Chris Beaudry, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. I appreciate you being here, and I am very excited for everyone to hear your story. I'm glad you reached out. I really enjoy doing these things, being able to share and hopefully say some things that resonate with people to help them heal. Yeah, 100%. And, and uh, you know, I just heard your kids go across the the top there, and I mean, what a great reason just one of the many great reasons to uh to tell your story and to to the your the reason behind your why and i know that's a big reason behind my why too is because i have four boys uh that are going to be growing up in a in a probably more difficult world than i had to and um being able to share these stories is going to make it easier for them down the road absolutely i i've seen in the work i do already that the resilience, we talk about the resilience that kids have, mm-hmm. but also how vulnerable they are. And the more yeah. we share and become able to be with the hard things in life, that it allows both then. It allows us to be vulnerable, to see our kids being upset and not needing to change them, not needing to make yeah. it any different, not needing to make it wrong that, you know, their, their toy broke and they're really upset because that's important to them. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, how many times, and I know this for me as a dad, and I remember myself growing up, and then even as me growing up, and try, or as my kids are growing up, and before I kind of had this change of heart or change of the way I'm trying to be, them like trying to change their emotions or wanting to change my emotions. And no, your emotions are validated at the time. I mean, you may look back on them and it may seem silly, um, but right at that moment, if their toy broke, they, that was the most devastating thing in their life at that moment. 
And, but being able to help them understand that they can be resilient and they do move past those things. I mean, it's a great life lesson and it's going to, for them to recognize feelings like that is super important and being able to move on from them as well is, you know, it just, like you say, it teaches them resilience. Exactly. I love how you worded that, that being able to be with your emotions is what teaches resiliency. Yeah. It's not pushing them down. Right. And pushing them down, it creates trauma for exactly. future in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're great. You're teaching me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, yeah. but, uh, but why don't you, you have such a, I mean, it's just such a, an incredible story and I am a little bit familiar with it. And I think once you start into your story, I think you'll catch a few more people who are, you were actually suggested to me by Leslie Kelly, who is a good friend of mine, a longtime uh, supporter of the work I do. And she herself has done so much work in this field. And uh, we owe so much of the trailblazing to her. So I appreciate her and appreciate her, the introduction that she made uh, between the two of us. So tell a little bit about your story. And, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. My story starts with my mom's story. And my mom grew up in Calgary, in Alberta and ran away from home at age 13 because of uh, sexual abuse from her uncles and she lived on the streets for seven years and so when i was born my mom dealt had to deal with a lot of pain a lot of pain that kept coming up and even though the the christmases everything you wanted was there the birthday parties were always the best the days in between a lot of times mom couldn't handle it and you'd come home from school and no one would be there or days where she really lost it. She, she spanked and beat the shit out of us a lot. And it didn't mean she didn't love us, but that affected my mind and the way I thought a lot growing up as a kid and which led me to drink. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and even before I drank when I would get angry, like, I mean, everyone, I, everyone's been angry. You know those times where you get really worked up and you just feel the fire and then your body goes whoosh mm -hmm. and just releases something mm -hmm. and it calms you down. Like, I was addicted to that by the mm -hmm. time I was like 10 years old. I knew that that got me out of the pain that was in my brain. All those thoughts that you're no good. No one loves you. You're a loser. Why? If your mom hits you, it's because there's something wrong with you. She wouldn't do this if it wasn't your fault. And that anger let me escape those thoughts. And lo and behold, when I moved to Saskatchewan, one of the first things I did when I was out here was I went to a bush party and there was booze and I drank and it helped those thoughts leave. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take long where I started to mix anger and alcohol until they didn't work together. Then something else had to show up and that was drugs. And then it took the pain away till it didn't then i had to mix anger and drugs till it took the pain away and then it didn't then i mixed all three and one day all of a sudden all of them didn't work anymore and then it was about four years of hell and at that point it was i had to make a decision what do i want do i want to live in this hell or try something different and that's when i got sober which is just about eight years ago and you know, then I really, I realized more than uh, alcohol, more than anger, more than drugs, I had a thinking problem. 
Mm. These thoughts, how I beat myself up, how I judged myself every day and made myself a victim about everything. That the flat tire on the tractor somehow was my fault. And I was a piece of crap because of it. And I was no good. And this farm wasn't going to succeed. And I was going to be the generation to lose it all because of these thoughts in my head. And that's what was the driving force behind the reason I drank and the reason I used and all that. And once I started to work on that thinking, something else emerged. And that was this, this deep caring for other people. I wanted to help other people, mm -hmm. help them maybe learn from what I had done. And that's what led me to coaching. And it ended up, I, it took, I don't know how, I was the worst hockey player you'd ever seen. If you came up to Canada 30 or 25 years ago and you seen me, it was, it was a horrid sight, horrible, horrible thing to watch. But part of me understood the game, just the way my mind worked. It seen things analytically a and B in this line and that angle, whatever it just worked. And then I gained a aspect when I got sober of how to help people. And that really, that's what coaching is. The A, the X's and O's and A's and B's, they're great. They, they, they do something, but it's more than that. The, the real, the people who really make it, they know what drives people. Yeah. They know how to lift others up. Right. And I found I was doing that. And I quickly went from coaching at home in a senior men's league to coaching in junior in, which is the second highest non-pro level in Canada in junior A. And uh, tragically, I was with a team who was involved in a bus accident where 16 of the players and staff were killed. And, you know, I really, April 6th, the morning of April 6th, 2018, I thought I knew something. I thought I was on my way. I thought, you know, I've got the tools. And there was a bit, there was a bravado, a bit of an arrogance that I still carried because I thought, you're making it, you're doing it. And I lost everything that day every tool i thought i had with mental health and how to motivate and what i thought about life that i had it together was gone and you know who showed up then wasn't 30 what i would have been 33 then it wasn't 33 year old chris or 34 year old chris it was four year old chris mm. that scared kid was the one who was standing on that highway who the instant coward showed up i don't want to be here it was that kid was like, I don't want to be in this house. I don't want to be spanked and yelled at anymore. And it took a, oh man, a real deep dive to actively, I had to start healing the wounds of four-year-old Chris before I could actually fix 34-year-old Chris. And that was harder. It was so much harder to be there for that stuff that I blocked out for so many years that I thought I was doing really good. I thought I had my mental health under control mm -hmm. and I was just blocking it all, pushing it away. Man, yeah. it's, uh, it's just, it's an incredible, you just have an incredible like way of saying what you've went through. And, you know, I'm going to start here at the beginning and I think a lot of people who are in, you know, that situation oftentimes are incredibly hard on themselves. And it's like you say, I resonate, especially with when you start talking about the anger and wanting to, and then build up that anger, build up that anger, and then have whoosh, you have that release. I know what that is. Like I, I feel that in 
every fiber of my being. And I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody describe it to me, my own, like, I, I don't think I could have described my own emotions as far as when it comes to anger as, as well as you did, because that's exactly how I feel, you know? And like when you're a kid, you do something f like physical and it released that. Well, and then like you say, I, thankfully I never took to drugs, but I did take to alcohol and that was, that was my release. I was so much stress. I put myself under so much stress. And uh, for me, it was when I was in college, when it really hit hard and hit home and, uh, you know, being in a new place that wasn't home, you know, I, I was really just, you know, band-eating band things. And I, it's, it's, it's a terrible cycle to go through. And it, it took me for years to realize that that wasn't the right way to fix it. And, um, you know, but there are things like I did get better. Um, my, my wife was the one who helped me to understand that I was going to be sober, uh, to live a life with her. But, you know, it's like you say, did, how hard was it to deal with those things once you got sober, like you didn't have that to rely on anymore? You know, I always say I, I was extremely lucky when I quit drinking because one of the great things that I had that I, a lot of people that I've worked with or spoken to didn't have, and that was a parent who, who understood addiction, but also mm. pain and trauma. And that was my mom, that she started her healing journey when I was probably about 10. And so she had an understanding of sharing and that having to be with your emotions and looking at the reasons why you drink and she never pushed me to get sober but when i did there was that extra support there and you know i say this all the time like we, there's there's no one to blame if your parents or grandparents didn't teach you to self-soothe and self-regulate and be with your emotions like we were talking about right before we started here like how could they teach us if no one taught them so right. when there's no one to blame then and the finger has to point back at you. Like, okay, and then I, can I teach mm -hmm. myself? Well, I was lucky enough to have someone that could help show me that. And mm -hmm. it made it immensely wow. easier. And that's why, like I said, when I was in Humboldt, I thought I had it figured out because I'm, I'm doing so well. Everyone told me in my AA group and stuff, oh, you're figuring this out. You're, you're, you're doing so well at this. And I was missing a part though. I didn't have anyone who could help me relate to that ego side of myself that I beat myself up for so long that now I was doing well and everyone's telling me it. Yeah, I'm pretty damn good. I am doing well and I deserve this. I deserve all these breaks because it's been hard. And you know what? I wasn't humble. I wasn't humble. Mm -hmm. And it's painful, painful as it is. It took an accident to actually humble me. Like, I get in shivers saying this, like, I really wish it didn't. I really wish it was something easier that it took to humbly. But man, it brought me down and it made me go, you know, I, I don't know anything. I don't know more than you. I don't got a, a greater capacity to do any of this work than anyone. Like everyone told, tells me all the time, I could have never done what you did. Throughout the, yeah, you can. We're all humans. 
we all have that innate capacity to heal. We have that heart that is as wide as the damn world. And we can all do these things. And that's what that showed me. That, that was the, the humbling, the humility for me. So you, wow, that's a really incredible way to put it. You, because there is, there, there is a definite when you start to get better and you start to do things which, you know, are pretty, pretty exceptional. I mean, it is, it is exceptional to overcome mm -hmm. an addiction. It really is. And, you know, you don't need to discount that, but at the same time, you, if you're not careful, like you said, you become cocky, you become overconfident. And, you know, unfortunately it was that accident for you that made that not happen. But at the same time, you realize that, I mean, obviously it's a terrible, awful, horrible thing, this, this bus accident. And, but it, you, you let it serve you. And so many people and anymore it's almost fashionable sometimes to be a victim and i'm sure that you i mean it took a lot of pain but you were able to see it as something that was going to serve your life instead of take away from that and that might be one of the greatest victories of all I, when we when we get on the topic of service, uh, this story always comes up. As soon as the accident happened, a cowardice came over me. I didn't want to be me. I didn't want to have anything to do with the team. I didn't want to be there, but I was there. And then I was at mm -hmm. uh, from the scene. I was at the hospital. From the hospital to the church, and then home. And this cowardice wouldn't leave. Then I get a phone call at three in the morning from the coroner. He says, Chris, we need you to come back to the accident scene. We need you to identify everyone. And I said, no, I can't. I can't. My wife's sleeping. She's with the kids. I, I physically can't drive. It's not happening. And I hung up. And then he called back at 5 a.m. and said, Chris, we need you to come to Saskatoon. But you're the only person left on earth who knows everyone. And it was in that moment, my mind switched. I remember, I remember service when I was a kid. We used to come to the farm and you'd see rain clouds and everyone's combine that was combining canola would leave the field and they'd go help the guy who had wheat left where there was a really bad crop and four or five guys would show up with a few hundred bushels, help the neighbor. You got enough bread to feed your kids. And that service hit me. And that, that's why I coached. I mean, that's, I mean, I used to tell players, I coached to help boys become men of empathy, integrity, who will lead, be responsible and change the world for good. So like, where was my integrity? Where, how, how was I leading and being responsible? And that moment, boom, that service came back to me. It's like, hey, I, I can do something. I can help people here. And it's been a driving force for me ever since. And think of yourself, think of the smallest services you've done in your life. Like holding a door for, for an old lady, carrying groceries across the street for someone. Those aren't huge things. But I bet that feeling comes back just as big as it was that day. You know, when I look at the biggest service I've done is when I went to the morgue, when I said, this is Connor, and this is Jacob, and this is Logan, and this is Parker and Darcy and Mark and Brody and Adam and on and on, that I went in there and I did that so that a mom wouldn't go in there and say, this isn't. 
I mean, if I'm struck down right now and I'm sitting in front of St. Peter and they say that's not good enough, fine by me. That's okay. That's okay then. Because to me, I don't know if I can do something better than that. It's just, it's, it's just, it's so like, I just can't imagine what that must have been like. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about the accident itself and not, not necessarily the accident itself, but um, just kind of the things surrounding it. Um, hockey is to you guys is what baseball is to us, right? I mean, it's something every kid grows up playing. I mean, am I, am I right? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm so like, I don't know anything about hockey because we, I mean, I, it's, we don't, it just doesn't happen here because of our, our, our geography, because of our climate. I'm in Missouri and I mean, it, we're lucky if our pond freezes for a, two weeks to skate on. So, I mean, it, but I mean, to me, I, I, as soon as I could walk, I was playing baseball and you know, my kids the same way for you guys. That's the way hockey is because of, the way it is around you and you talk about this the, the humble broncos correct that's the name of the team yes. and they're like a so you said they're like probably the se second highest professional like it or the second highest amateur okay level okay. of hockey before pro okay okay uh so it'd be like kind of like uh okay it's a but it's a huge community thing like each it's a Honestly, I think it's probably more comparable to what college football here in the States is like, to where every, there's such a community effort around each team. And then uh, it's so concentrated and that team means so much to that area, to that city. And then it was so many of them were lost. And that like, talk about what that's like for the community surrounding that and like how how they were able, I mean, how they were able to deal with that grief, but also maybe how they were able to, to heal from it or continue to heal from it. I mean, I, that's a, that's like continue healing is like not a destination, but a journey. You know, it's, it's so individual. It's mm -hmm. so individual. And you look at things like if you're to drop a rock into a lake and that's that accident boom the people closest it's the roughest but that spreads and it spreads and it affects a lot of people and everyone has their own individual journey through it and there were great things that happened there were events put on for us and people donated millions of dollars to help out with the families and the boys who survived and needed things but i can't speak for anyone else's journey but my own because i don't know what they went through i know what like I've spoke with a lot of the people I know we've shared and related and it's so individualized that I, I think it's really important that it's that way because then we can't tell someone, this is what you need to do. This is what will help you. No, this is what helped me. And if that resonates with them and hopefully they find that and for myself, I, I knew that sharing, I knew that speaking about what I went through, what I was feeling, this misplaced anger I had, like I was so angry at the board, so angry at the board. Cause after the accident, they weren't doing the things that I thought they should do. It wasn't my job to do those things and it wasn't their job to listen to me, but I thought that's the way things should go. And all I was doing was masking my pain. I found a place to again, use anger to keep me from what I was really feeling, which was tremendous sorrow. 
and back to the sharing. So I created a group that we could meet weekly and openly share about our grief because I knew what AA did for me, but it, that wasn't the venue for it. people. They, they, they weren't getting it when I, what I was doing there. And when I could sit there across from other individuals, share my story, put that pain right in front of my face. Every time I shared it, I would weep and weep and weep. And the next time it was less emotion or different emotion. And I would hear their stories and I would relate to their stories and it would touch an unhealed part of me. It would allow me to share something else, which would allow them to share something else. I learned something like, wow, this storytelling, it creates a circle of healing that doesn't stop. That when I share my problems and, I, and someone relates to me and then they share theirs, they might relate to me or someone else again. And that is a catalyst for another's healing. So you don't know. You don't know who your story is going to impact. Like you said about the anger, the way I explained anger was the best way you've heard it done. I didn't know that was going to happen tonight. Right. And that's just like, if you share your story, every, every time this podcast comes out, there are people that's like, boom, that was the message they needed. And now they share. Mm -hmm. That's why we say, reach out, talk to yeah. people share you don't know you don't know whose life you can save and you know what it just might be your own yeah i mean and just talking things out i'd say this i mean gosh it seems like more and more all the time but the more you talk about things or the the more healing it becomes and to me the talking the just getting off your chest just relating with someone I mean, that might be the most therapeutic part of the entire process. It's not necessarily the things you do to actually get better, or, uh, the new thought processes. Um, those are helpful. But I think maybe the most therapeutic thing is just sharing and knowing that you're not alone, knowing that there are people who understand you. Because I think that's a, that's a big part of, of being human is a lot of times we want to be understood and so often we feel like we're not understood but like you and me i've never ever like i said I, i'll say it again i've never heard someone go through the process of what anger feels like in that release better or more like in sync with how i feel as you did and i i didn't i totally didn't expect that to happen tonight like you said i mean what a great thing for me to know that if you understand it and you're probably a thousand miles away from me in northern Saskatchewan. I mean, there's got to be somebody somewhere else who feels like me too, you know? So, I mean, it's, that's really comforting to know. Absolutely. And I mean, I said it earlier, we're not that different. We're not, I, we're not different at all. We're humans. No. We're all made up of the same parts, the, yeah. the proteins, we can get scientific about it. And I mean, <laughs> there's different DNA and water and organs. We're, we're just people. We're people with mm -hmm. that same capacity to heal. We all want to be happy. We all want to figure out a way to do that. To, to, to be upset when we're upset, that's okay. To be angry when we're angry, yeah, that's okay. It's just so that we don't hang on to these. We don't depress pushing these emotions down, which then just create more pain. Like, pain, or sorry, the, to me, create more suffering. Pain happening it's gonna happen yeah. you're born with the central nervous system right. you are gonna go through pain being a human but to suffer and add on yeah. add it on top all those shoulds you should you shouldn't have 
You should, should, you should have, should have ran this morning. Should have got up early. Ooh, you shouldn't have ate that piece of cake. I mean, all that extra pain, voluntary, voluntary. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I had a friend, uh, Sam Goldberg, who was on the, uh, he was on the pod. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He's, uh, he's the uh, producer of the, have you heard of the silo, the film, the, about the grain entrapment? Yeah. Yeah, he was he was on the podcast once, uh, well twice. But the first time he was on, he told me about it. Like when you when you leave something, like when you have that pain, it's like you, it's like this room you go by every single day, and the light bulb is burnt out in that room, and every single day you think, oh man, I need to change that light bulb. Oh man, I need to change that light bulb. Every day you think that more and more. You think that the harder and harder and harder it gets to go think about and more it hurts you to think about changing that light bulb when you could have avoided all of that pain and suffering if you would have just changed the light bulb the first day and you know that light bulb is like our emotions if we just recognize them right out of the gate and again i'm far from perfect at this like i i still struggle with this but getting better if you recognize those emotions right out of the gate and feel them and be okay with feeling them, that's going to save you so much pain going down the road. I agree a hundred percent. And I think one thing when you said, well, I'm not an expert. I don't think there are a lot of experts. We need, le- we need less experts, and more people with lived experience. <laughs> but to me, part of it is, is screwing up. Is those times where you didn't feel those emotions and you let your anger get too big and you went, ah, to the kids but then you just pick yourself up dust yourself off and go okay this was the learning experience why maybe ask yourself why did i get so angry or just say you know what i'm not going to beat myself up about this because if i do that i'm only getting closer to freaking out again and then you go about your day and in a week or a month or a year or a decade you fall down in the mud again and you go, don't beat yourself up about that. You just get up, dust yourself off, and go, oh, wonderful. Another learning experience. Yeah, because nothing productive comes from living in the past. And because, I mean, you can, like you said, you, you, you talk about this should have or you shouldn't have done that. It doesn't do anybody any good. What, what, what does somebody really any good is living in that present and doing your best going forward and being okay with sometimes that best not always being perfect and we're so hard on ourselves we're so hard on ourselves and we we try to do everything so perfect and we've been for forever you know we've been taught that we're supposed to be good you're supposed to be perfect you're supposed to do all these things but we were never really taught how to how to be okay with when it does go wrong when it does fail because it does and like if you're it, somehow it got misconstrued along the way along the way that if you're okay with losing then you're a loser and I mean, I hate to tell folks this, but you know, losing is a part of life, whatever losing looks like. I mean, that's going to happen. What matters is how you live with that and how you improve on that and how you show up your best every single day as, as well as possible. I like what you're saying because I like looking at things in, 
with people and saying like, what does loser mean to you? Like, what's the definition? We all have our own personal definition for like every word, every word out there. So is a loser someone who doesn't make $150,000? Is a loser someone who lo loses a game? What is it? To me, I don't, I don't know. I don't even think that that doesn't pop up in my vocabulary. For me, then the word, if you want, if you want to put success to something, it's someone that's able to be with their emotions when they're there, regulate, and then find happiness. That's a winner. Yeah. That's winning. That, yeah. that, that, that makes everyone else around you better. Like, and I tell I work one-on-one -on -one with people and I say this all the time if you're constantly improving your life and you're becoming a better person do you know how many people that affects every person you interact with the rest of your life and then that helps every person they're going to interact with yeah it's compound it compounds after that yeah. absolutely so you like your friend said about not not turning that light on if we decide to turn those lights on if we decide to be with our anger in a healthy way, like healthy anger is we a lot of times haven't been taught it. Healthy anger doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt you. It's in the present moment. It's subtle mm -hmm. and it's clarity. Mm -hmm. It sees boundaries. Healthy anger is an aspect of what's true for us. So if we're setting up a boundary and it's small, it's not hurting anyone and it's present, that seems pretty okay. But how often do we use that? Yeah. No, I know. I know. Well, no, I think anger is a very useful emotion because it's like you say, you have put up boundaries around what's in, what you, what is in your, uh, your range of acceptability. And then once somebody goes outside of that range or not necessarily somebody, but something goes outside your range of acceptability, then yes, anger is a perfectly acceptable emotion. Now, healthy anger i like how you said that i don't know if i've ever really heard it that way healthy anger is when it's subtle it's when it doesn't affect anybody else but we don't really know like we've never really been taught that you know because we see anger and we see when our anger affects somebody else and that's not good we don't want our finger anger to affect anybody else we want to keep our anger to where it affects us um, but also deal with it in a healthy way which i know is easier said than done but i mean it can it's like you said, I liked how you said that because you're like, I wish I could do the things you do. Well, you can, people can, people, we all have the same capacity, the same ability to do things. It's just a matter of, of, of setting up those boundaries of if we do it or not. You know, so I, I, I'm always, I'm, I'm like how you said that because people do say the, a lot of that to me a lot of the time, oh, I wish I could do this, this, and this that you do. And I said, well, I mean, you could, you can, you can do the thing. You can do whatever you want to do. If, you know, and I said, you, people will always make the time for the things that are important to them. Absolutely. You know, and they will. You know, I want to share a small story here. Like this healthy anger thing and being with your emotions in a healthy way is something really new to me. Like I would mm -hmm. say it was a year and a half, maybe two years ago, the first time I figured out, oh, I could tell this is unhealthy anger. I was in uh, Saskatoon. My wife was at the farm and I had messaged her, hey, a customer's coming over. 
he wants his invoice for seed. Could you put it in the shop? He's been traveling. He doesn't want to come to the house. She said, sure. All of a sudden, the customer calls me. Chris, where's my receipt? I was at the farm. It wasn't there. And he's mad. And I was that guy. When I get mad. I send about five, five word texts and about 12 of them. And so I start texting my wife. Hey, you said you'd put customer A's receipt. He just called me. He said it's not. And then I stopped myself and I called her. And I'm like, honey, you know what? I'm sorry for what I was texting you because I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm angry right now. But the more I sit with this anger, I'm not angry. It's shame I'm feeling. And I don't feel ashamed that we're letting my customer down. It's, this feels like when I used to let my dad down as a kid. And so when I sit with that, this isn't a big deal. Like, we'll get him a receipt. It's not the end of the world. This is not an issue. And I was able to find that another part of myself that wasn't healed because I let anger be the clarity that it was used for to say, hey, you still got a lot of issues around your dad and your self-worth. So there's time for another deep look there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think you brought up a really interesting point there too. Maybe not the one you intended to when you talk about how like we, we process emotions and like, it's so like in, in the way we communicate now like via text or via not verbal, it's so like, we can sit there and I'm, I text the same way when I'm mad, I send, and, it, and my wife, it drives her absolutely bonkers because I do that because she would rather get it all in one thing, but that's not how my mind works. My mind works like little, like little fires. We like say these things uh, virtually or, or via text or via, however, via message or whatever. And like, we don't have like necessarily time to process what's coming out we just put it out there because it's way easier right then versus like when you were able to stop yourself verbally say what was going on i find that's probably a lot more helpful uh, it's a lot easier and it provides for a lot better relationship between the two people who are are, are, are talking and you know, and I think that that's one thing that I think is being lost in today's world is the ability to like, just stop ourselves. Do I, what, do I really want to say this out loud? And I think a lot of times if we really had to say, have to say something out loud, then we decide, well, maybe we should, maybe we should reconsider saying that. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, it's, that was kind of a rambling thought there, but it's kind of what I, what I gathered from that. No, I like that because you know, even the way we're communicating right now, that uh, there's a theory called polyvagal theory. And polyvagal theory says we have a vagus nerve. And this vagus nerve is mm -hmm. the biggest nerve in the body, runs from your head to your toe. And mm -hmm. it's a way of communicating. Like right now, we're communicating through our voices. And even though we're on Zoom, we're not actually communicating with our eyes, which you can do, because one, I'm looking at a screen for me to look up now. That's the only way you can see my eye. Right, right. The way right. the vagus nerve communicates is, you know, when you've walked in a room and you can tell someone's angry, you just can feel it. That's uh -huh. how that's just our central nervous systems co-regulating with each other. So we have these three ways of communicating that are natural to humans that we understand that you can walk in as, oh, 
okay, they're on edge. I'm going to be softer and slower. When, when we're communicating with our cell phones, it's so, so crude. Like you don't know, yeah. you don't know if it's sarcasm or anger mm -hmm. or what they're saying to you. And then it can be taken in such a different way that everyone's going on this whole different spectrum. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a conversation via text with someone. It was actually my car mechanic, great car mechanic. He lives out far out, further out from the city than I do, you know, 15 miles out from any sort of civilization. And of course that probably sounds funny to you and where you're at because <laughs> that, that seems like probably close to town for you, but I take everything to him. We've had a long running relationship and I he sent me a text one time and it was like, did you know this car had a salvage title? I didn't, I didn't know a car I owned had a salvage title, which is kind of embarrassing to admit, but that was several years ago. And I said, Oh no, I didn't know that. I had no, I don't know how the text went, but I felt it was very civil conversation. He did not feel that way. He thought I was angry calling him a liar just through a few words, a long-term relationship. He's still my car mechanic. Now I, obviously told him, Hey man, I'm not mad, but you know, it's, that's how easy things can get, you know, two people who have known each other. I went to high school with this guy and uh, his dad was our mechanic for, you know, who knows going back. And you know, if things can get that screwed up between two people who have a close relationship over, over text or over messenger, imagine how two strangers cannot connect in a way that is uh, meaningful whatsoever. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's what we need less. We need less social media and more. So being social with you. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and you guys up north, it's been even more difficult for you guys, I guess, than it has been for us, you know, not to get into that. But I mean, the, the lack of social interaction has to be tough for you for you guys during this time. Yeah, but you can still find those bright spots. You can find ways to be with people. And, and that, that's what's, I think, really important. If it's like today, I, I took after, I had a meeting this morning and part of the afternoon. And then my youngest had parent and taught gymnastics. And I, I was able to talk like 90 seconds with the gymnastics teacher about, it was something that didn't seem like it was going to be important. But then we had an, a nice connection and looked each other in the eye. Oh, thank you. Yeah, great. And like, that's huge to just notice those things that when you get those chances to connect with another person, don't take yeah. for granted like we used no. to. Like, man, that, right. that person you run into in the grocery store. Oh, hey, yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. You know what? Might be a long time till you see him again. And yeah. maybe we won't take him for granted anymore. Right, right. Well, man, I, this has been, this has been an incredible conversation. I, I looked down at my watch and we're gosh, almost out of time. I can't believe how it flew by tonight. I think this is going to warrant a continuation someday. You have such a, you have such a deeper, you know, and I don't want to discount anybody else, but I, I feel like you have a different level of, of understanding of, of this stuff. And I, I don't, I, I want to, I want to expand on our conversation about this one day, uh, you know, in the very near future, because I think it's super valuable. 
And it's not one, it's not something to be taken lightly. It's something that I feel like we all should be, have a little bit better, I guess they would call it EQ, emotional intelligence. And I, I, I commend you for how open you are to talking about some really tough things and how you've been able to uh, make self-improvements and you know, understanding that you telling your own story is going to help others because it does. Yeah, I would absolutely love to connect again. I mean, we we didn't really touch on two of my favorite subjects, which are trauma and grief. And and it, it seems weird to some people why I like those, but I know that everyone's going to face it. You're going to lose people in your life. And trauma isn't something big. Trauma is a constriction inside of you that it doesn't allow you to be present keeps you locked in the past so we've all had that kind of stuff and so i mean if there's a chance to share on that i would love it please but let's we'll set up a date real soon again to to continue this conversation because it's it's too important because i mean people are it's like you said to have pain is part of being human and trauma is you know just a kind of an extreme pain and that everybody's going to have it at some point or another and uh, how we deal with it, how we process it can be the difference in, in from that point forward to the, re- for the rest of our lives, as you have shown. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you. Do you invite me to do this? And like you said, I can't believe it's been an hour already. It was it's like, we just started talking. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, that's good. I mean, that means it's an important conversation. And, you know, I I feel that people who are listening to this are going to feel equally uh, engaged and will welcome you back on the podcast uh, anytime. Where can people find you online? Uh, Chris Beaudry 9 on Twitter, Chris Beaudry on the Facebook machine. I'm not on there as much but do you want to reach out to me if you want to share a story if you want to have a chat send me a direct message and you know what i get back to pretty much everybody yep. because yep. i love doing this stuff so yeah man it's like i said it's healing it's part of the healing journey to talk about it and i i appreciate you be appreciate you being so open about that awesome thanks man all right man we'll see you soon thanks for listening to ag state of mind We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.